single white trailer All down on the floor Four dogs in the backyard With kicked and screamed in the door Daddy screams Mama, little boy cringes as he screams He says I'll be a prophet boy One day you'll be like me And he thinks I will take a different road Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I am the host and creator of the Pursuit of Manliness. You know, every once in a while, I'll see someone or an account on my timeline through Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and begin to wonder to myself, how did I ever start following them? Uh, and I'm sure others have done the same to me as well. My guest on today's show is one of those people. His name is Matt Whitman, and he is the creator of the 10-Minute Bible Hour, a show that is loaded theologically to teaching the Bible and is covered with punchy humor at the exact same time. I don't know when I started following Matt, but I'm certainly glad I did, and it's one of the uh, more enjoyable accounts to follow on Twitter. Uh, Matt is also a pastor in Lander, Wyoming, although he's going to explain today that uh, his intent was never to be uh, a teaching pastor. He was teaching college uh, history and doing some ministry part-time when he agreed to fill the pulpit at Lander E-Free for just a few months. And in those few months, he fell in love with the community and the church, and he eventually accepted the call to be their next pastor. Matt loves communicating the Bible in ways that are understandable, are in-depth, and he brings humor and history to bear on the text each week as he teaches straight through entire books of the Bible. Man, I believe you're really going to enjoy Matt's humor, but also his passion to make sure that we understand the Bible and that we do what we are called to do, and that is to take the Bible, the gospel, to the ends of the earth. So guys, it's time for the show. Let's cue up the music. All right, at this time, I want to welcome Matt Whitman to the show. Matt, thank you for being on this podcast. Oh, thank you. We're going to have fun. I hope so. Matt, would you start off by telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself, maybe your family, and what this 10-minute Bible hour is all about? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, you said my name. It's Matt Whitman. I'm a pastor in western Wyoming. I live in a vacation. It's ridiculous. It's place where I get to fly fish and do mountain stuff and have wild animals all around. And I've also got a fantastic church here. It was like that when I got here, so I can't take credit for any of it, but uh, a church at peace, it's healthy in all the right ways, and a church that you know, likes the Bible, thinks about kingdom stuff. So, so the church thing is awesome. Where we live is just a blast. Uh, my family, I'm, I'm married to um, Camilla. We met first day, first class at... Trinity College in Chicago, Deerfield, and it took me a while to get her to come around on the whole idea of me, but eventually she was persuadable, apparently. So we've been married for 20 years now. We got married pretty young, and we have three kids, ages 11, 10, and 7, and they're delightful and healthy and fun. And then, uh, in addition to all of that, I, I do internet things. I have a podcast called No Dumb Questions that I do with my friend Destin from Smarter Every Day where we talk about stuff. I don't know. It's a podcast. 
And then, uh, and then I do this 10 minute Bible hour thing where I, for the last three years have been trying to explain the Bible in a way that doesn't sound like the way the Bible normally gets explained. Not because I think I can do it better, but I feel like the way I talk about it in Christian circles it can be really helpful for Christians, but it's just completely inaccessible to honest people on the outside looking in. And so I've been trying to crack the nut of how to say it succinctly on the internet in a way that uh, can include everybody, whether they think the stuff I think or not, and where maybe we can even take a little bit of the super important edge off of it and have a bit of a laugh and enjoy the process. Well, I, I don't know about Trinity, but uh, I went to St. Louis Christian College, and we don't have math. Um, so that was a good thing because I, I, I don't do math. But ten minute Bible hour. How did you come up with? How did you come up with that name? What's when did you land on that? What I found is that that joke has not been lost on people who've been around Christianity for a while, but unfortunately, maybe is a bit lost on exactly that target audience I was telling you I was just trying to connect with. Right, but right. whatever, I stuck with it. Yeah, you, you remember like the old time radio yeah. Bible Hour programs and things like that, and so I kind of wanted to riff on that and put in a self-deprecating math joke that would maybe hint to people that it won't be that, so that when they turned it on and it wasn't that, they wouldn't be as disappointed in the content. You know there's an OCD person somewhere who just drives them nuts that that's your, your title, right? Oh, yeah, and and when <laughs> when this pushes out beyond the normal boundaries and it gets into the uh, the very not-Christian Internet, which is where I want it, there's always somebody who's like, this guy's an idiot, and they're not entirely wrong. <laughs> True, <laughs> right, right, yeah. idiotic thing happened to have been on purpose. What you're putting out is, is filled with meat, and, and I mean, like, there's great uh, theological substance to it. It's well thought out, put it together, but um, there's, as you call, punchy uh, humor in it. Was that your intent all along, or did you decide somewhere along the way, um, you know what, this needs some, some funny or whatever? No, I, I'm, that's just how I talk. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think irreverence is a very good tool. I think that while reverence is a great thing to express personally, if you live in such a way that you demand it of people who don't think the same stuff as you, it tends to be pretty off-putting, and people will respect it because people generally respect other people, whether they think like us or not like us. I mean, most people are decent, but being polite and respecting your insistence on reverence is very different from actually considering why you are reverent or what you are reverent toward. I feel like I don't make any hay being super self-important and expect, you know, demanding that people respect solemnly all the things that I say and think. I think it works a lot better to make fun of myself and make fun of some other stuff and use normal language and just laugh about things. So, no, that's just kind of my style in life in general. I, I don't think I actually succeed at being funny, but I am more than happy to go around and repeatedly embarrass myself while trying to be funny. Well, you definitely have a gift because there's people who try to be funny and they actually end up being a tool. And then there's people have, that have humor and make you want to stick around and go, okay, I'm going to hear what this guy has to say. So do you, do you kind of lean into that on when you preach as well? You know, use that to your advantage? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't write jokes. I'm just, right, right. <laughs> I, I, want the, I want the humor to feel like the kind of conversational humor when you're sitting down for a nice meal out with 
some people that you like and everybody's relaxed and you're just the, the, the lightheartedness and the humor is just born out of the rapport that you have with each other laughing about stuff and having a general air of lightness to it and so that, that's honestly that's what my church feels like and <laughs> I don't know they seem really cool with it it's um, I want it to be really deep complex content I want it to be a really honest handling of the text on multiple contextual levels, but I want to use colloquial language and and joke about stuff as it comes up, interact with the room and, you know, laugh with people as they respond and react out there as well. So, yeah, it, these these videos, that's kind of how our church feels, too. That's great. I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't write jokes, and uh, it's it's corny if you do, and shame on you if you're writing jokes. I love spur of the moment, like obvious, like you know, like I can't believe that just happened. Humor or whatever. So, um, and if you take yourself too serious, people will laugh at you behind your back instead of in front of you. But so I kind of we kind of lean into them laugh at me, and I get to be in on the joke. It's even funnier at that point. So, that's, uh, have have you had somebody, um, you know, let's let's say with the videos, have you had someone complain about the humor because of what you're teaching, and and be upset that you were trying to be funny? Yeah, I have. Um, but I've had everything. <laughs> yeah. At this point, there are enough comments that have happened there and in other places around the internet that, I, man, I, uh, let me see. My favorite was not so much a complaint about the humor, but I got called an agent of a Luciferian deception. Yikes. For talking about text criticism. That was a good one. Um, I got, <laughs> it's really are delightful to me. So if somebody's <laughs> listening and you just want to go say mean things to me on my channel, I don't mind at all. I also got uh, human garbage. That was for uh, suggesting that the manuscript support for the Textus Receptus was... Um, of a smaller mathematical number than the manuscript support for for other Greek collections, which isn't a criticism, it's just true. That was human garbage. Um, I made a video about the eclipse with my podcast partner, Destin, and that drew out the Flat Earth crowd. Yeah. And, yeah. wow, they, uh, uh, yeah, all kinds of... <laughs> I mean, those people are creative. Like, I know they get a pretty bad rap for thinking that an obvious sphere is a flat disk sitting in the heavens and I understand that but holy cow they I mean you'd think there'd be only one or two ways to be like you're a filthy liar and a NASA (laughs) shill but you're wrong there are so many ways to express that and I I tip my hat to them Uh, additionally the you know I've had one person in particular write me several notes saying this would be much stronger if we weren't joking about things and if we just got down to business and my feeling there is well there are probably about 11 billion other channels that are doing it that way if you'd like that. And I'm sure they're really good, so just go watch those. And then I did get a couple of notes this last, maybe over the last month. One was upset that I used the phrase screwed up because it could have sexual overtones and <laughs> biblically I'm to avoid all appearances of evil. And the other asked for a trigger warning if I'm going to use the word heck because it's an ob- obvious substitute for an inappropriate use of the word hell. So, so yes, I do get corrected from time to time. With that idea, you uh, you you say you grew up as a pastor's kid. This can make you do one or two things: love the church or want nothing to do with it. Um, my question to you is: Does your experience growing up in church, man, have anything to do with the way you communicate the word of God? 
you know, given what you maybe you saw or you heard from your, you know, growing up in a church environment, does that shape the way you teach? Yeah, it has a ton to do with it. Did, were you a pastor's kid too? I was not, but my wife is. So, okay, my wife is as well. So we're we're double awful. You guys, I guess, <laughs> are only half awful. But uh, you know the reputation, of yeah. course. I mean, sure, your wife knows the reputation. That yeah, pretty much. Uh, if you're a pastor's kid, you're either going to magnificently flame out, or um, you're going to toe the line and. I don't. I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of somewhere in between that. My my faith did definitely fall apart in my twenties. Just turned to dust after seminary for a little while. But you know, had a couple things that helped me paste that back together. I suppose that's a story for later on. But um, stuff I learned from being a pastor's kid. Well, one, my dad's really funny and really smart. Like those are the those are the two things that I, I think most people would say about him. And he cares about people. Is that too? Um, so for him, you know, humor was always a part of the routine at church, and our styles are a little different. He's a funny guy. And so certainly, you know, that gave me the notion that goofing around a little bit could be acceptable in church. Additionally, I learned a ton of stuff from Dad about people and the ups and downs and weirdnesses of church relationships and um, I feel like that's been really helpful in doing the pastor thing myself. I, it sounds crass. I don't think of it as a business at all, but you know, anybody who's listening who's the kid of somebody you know, who does the same job they do, you learn stuff. Family business thing. And so it's, you, know, you get to learn from all of their mistakes and all of their growth. So I do feel like that's been helpful as well. But the other thing is, it means that for my entire life, I've watched how, how the world is responding to the gospel. And that's been very helpful because I, I remember the days when you could talk with a competent, employed adult who was not addicted to anything, and you could say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And that didn't sound weird. That just sounded weird when I said it <laughs> just now in 2017. Yeah. It, it's just, everybody feels like, yeah, I've heard it. I also, I also remember the days when it was not a politically loaded proposition to say, hey, I have some thoughts about the Bible or Jesus or something. You, you could just talk about stuff like that. And maybe people were just accommodating each other and, and being nice, even though they didn't really like it. Maybe people were more into it. But what I have seen is competent adult, non-addicted, oh, well, that makes sense, conversions have all but vanished over the course of my lifetime. People don't come to Christ like that anymore. Right. It's not happening. But I'm old enough to remember when it was happening. So what the heck happened? Well, I have some theories on that. That's not really what we're talking about here. But it has certainly helped me to think through what my approach is going to be to talking about Jesus and the Bible. And I know that one way it's informed my approach is I'm not going to view people I'm talking with as marks or objects of my sales pitch or people who I need to manipulate to get to close a deal and make a decision or enemies or people I need to defeat politically. I feel like if, if I give into that temptation to view somebody who doesn't think what I think about God in any of those categories, the conversation's over before it starts. So I, I guess one thing I learned from watching my dad be a pastor and getting to be around church is you, you just have to legitimately like and root for people you disagree with, even if they're doing life in a way that isn't how you're doing it. Right. Do you ever, uh, 
lay in bed at night, stare at the ceiling, and wish that you would not have missed out on the opportunity to market a hanger ball? Oh my goodness, hanger ball is gold. That that gnaws at my soul, my friend. I mean, a case of hangers, that, a ball. I mean, that, what are, what are we doing? It, it's possibly the greatest idea in the history of sports. And then I stupidly put it on the internet without somehow laying a legal claim to it. And now it's going to catch on and be the next giant thing. Now, here's what I'm thinking watching that video. As a kid who, for a period of my time, had to stay after church for board meetings and stuff, I thought I see about three throws before somebody went upstairs and got mad at you guys for throwing a ball off a wall and making too much noise and having fun in church. That's that's my that's what I thought when you started throwing the ball. I thought, nope, that ain't game ain't going to last so long. Not one person ever said one thing at that growing up church. They knew we lived in a small town and we were bored. I think they thought that was probably you know better than liquor and meth, so they just tipped their hats at us. I mean, in context, yeah, liquor and meth and hanger. I, you're right. Okay. Um, if you could put them all together, it might be a step forward. You, you might have something there. Um, but anyhow, we digress. Uh, hey, man, you uh, your content is is incredible. I talked to you a little bit about that. You your video content, you got creating. You you don't just sit down and record a video. You got to put together content. You create it, shoot it, edit it, render it, upload it, whatever is incredibly time consuming. How do you have time to do all this stuff? Podcast, preach, be a husband, father. What? How do you manage your time like that? That's a great question. The the key to all of that is that when I came to this church, one, I didn't want to be a pastor. I was here on loan, filling in for an actual pastor who knows what they're doing. I had never done senior pastor thing before. I mean, I'd been to seminary, but my plan was to be an academic. I was teaching at University of Nebraska at Kearney, and you know, the history of ideas and thought, that was my trajectory. Very, very important sounding stuff. Yeah. And I came here to take a semester off and fill in because of some people who knew some people who knew some people. And I thought, I know how churches are. I'm going to go and talk about the Bible. I'm not going to tell people what to do, and I'm going to be nice. And they are going to hate it (laughs) because Christians want to be told what to do by pastors, and Christians want Bible passages that aren't about them reduced to being about them and their behavior. And I'm not doing it. So I taught through Galatians, and I... Did it the way I thought was a right handling of the text. We laughed about stuff. I'd like to think it treated people well. We got to the end, and I was like, well, I'm out. They asked if I would stay, and I said, nope, don't want to do that. Don't have an interest. And ultimately, the the guy who was the pastor, I think, was ready to rotate out to something else. And he asked if we could do maybe a co-pastor thing. And this is the key part in responding to your question. I thought, all right, if I'm the co-pastor and I don't have to bear the burden here, I could make this work if I still had huge flexibility. So I asked the church to consider allowing me to do three weeks on, one week off, plus vacation time, and to just pay me whatever percentage less they thought was appropriate for that. So I just am not going to marry myself to church. I'll be here. I care. I love it. But I'm not going to hitch myself to it so closely that it becomes the outward reflection of my soul and my value as a man. And I feel like if I do hitch myself that closely to it, one, I'm going to tug at the leash, and two, I'm going to get twisted up and dark inside and have to have my fingers and everything and control and power because ultimately this, what happens at this place would then define my value. So the way to get around that is just don't give me the ring of power. Let me be 
in a diminished capacity. Let me reduce the authority of my position. Let's have strong elders and a strong congregation. We'll have them do the work of being the church, and I will facilitate and help, which means it's not going to be here all the time. And they were like, yeah, great, let's do that. <laughs> and that's how we've done it ever since. And so somehow I bumbled in with accidental foresight into building a structure that would allow me to do kingdom things and family things on the side. And, and the church here, there's complete peace. These people are wonderful. They're just supportive and excited and really like the idea of trying to be creative to do kingdom stuff. And they try to do the same in their own ways. So um, I guess not being overwhelmed by the pastor position is one of the tickets to being able to hopefully have time with my family that's well spent and do things on the internet that are useful. You know, I, I have some friends who we do kind of what I would call your 10 minute Bible hour, a side hustle, something you do on the side, or you may see it. You actually, you may see that flipped, but, um, so I'm a lead pastor, but pursuit of manliness is something I do on the side and it's actually a great outlet. So as you just said there, I don't get, um, consumed by the things that happen at the church. I serve there. I love there. There's great people, great leaders, but you need an outlet. You need something that you don't have to get voted on. You get something that you don't have to have a committee approval or anything like that. And um, do you find that that's what this does for you? Allows you to kind of get a mental break between the two? I suppose it does. I Like, like socially, I want to just play along there because, I mean, I affirm what you're saying. At the same time, if I'm to be honest, just the very nature of a three-quarter time church and a church that's at peace makes church very rarely draining right now. It has been draining at other times at other churches where I've worked. I know what that feels like. But if I'm to be truthful, this has been a pretty sweet season. And so rather than characterizing it as an escape, I would characterize it as just another thing pulling in the same direction. They complement each other. And, and so what I'm doing with church informs what I'm doing on the internet and vice versa. We did a, a whole podcast event out here, the eclipse, the totality is right over the church. And so with my podcast, No Dumb Questions, uh, my buddy Destin came out and we invited, well, we invited the podcast to come to my church and watch the eclipse. We did a big eclipse event and, and people from church hosted and cooked food and invited guests from out of town, and most of whom don't believe the same stuff we do. And invited them to their homes and fed them and even provided some lodging. And it was really cool to have several hundred people descend on Lander and mingle with my church. And, and so it, it's been neat to see these two separate threads fuse together in a lot of ways and, and complement each other. So, no, I mean, I, I, um, fly fishing is my escape. This, this is all part of the same kingdom stuff, I guess. Right, but on the front end, you did you did build that wall a little bit by saying, "I'm gonna be a three quarter time guy. I don't want to be. I don't want to live and die here. You know, I don't want this to be." Um, as you talk about pulling on that leash, and so I think that was wise on the front end to say, "I I I can't. It's not good for my." F-. You see, men after men after men burn out from ministry because it just consumes their life, and then when they finally walk away from it, they don't know who they are, and so you you kind of did yeah. that on the front end to protect that uh, in long term. Yeah, you, 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 oh, that's well said, man. You, everything can become, oh, how can I explain this to other people? Oh, I discovered something. Oh, that's interesting. How can I frame this up for the internet or for church? So I hear you on that pitfall. It's, 
I don't know that there's any way around it other than being really conscious of it and having people in your life who can make fun of you and remind you that you're just some idiot. <laughs> Otherwise, you just start thinking like, man, I'm on constant outflow. Like I'm the knower of things, and I descend to tell people about this stuff. Oh, yeah. So that, I mean, just having that posture right is spot on. I appreciate your honesty with that. Um, yeah, and then just other outlets I think are good, too. And I love fly fishing. Do you, do you do that? Do you have that where you are? Do you have trout streams? We are in Indianapolis, so there's not a lot of fly fishing going on in Indianapolis. But I, Okay, so very, very little, I would guess. <laughs> And what, what about, like, are there some, like, state parks or something close by that you can get a fly rod and go out to? I, I'm, I'm sure we could. Maybe we can make this happen. We'll have a Pursuit of Aliens retreat. We'll have you come in and light it up for us and teach us how to fly fish. Yeah, and uh, if you would, bring, like bring your sword with you, too, because you're also a proud owner of a sword. How did you pull this off? Men, uh, men want to know about this. Yeah, well, they should. Uh, one is a, I don't know, a four-foot Scottish Claymore that I think my parents gave me Maybe as a wedding gift. Okay. But good wedding gift. Yeah, yeah. That's like old school wedding gifts. Yeah, they, uh, I got married in a kilt. We had a bagpiper, the whole bit. So it was was pretty legit. That's why I think it must have been a wedding gift. It would be, it would be tonally appropriate. And then behind me here, I've got a basket hilt claymore. And there is no dramatic story behind that whatsoever. I had lunch with a buddy a while back. And he was like, yeah, I got to clean out my, my friend's stuff. He moved out of town, and I'm helping him out, getting rid of all of it in the garage sale. And so I'm just listening and being polite. And he's like, yeah, I got a sword and a bunch of fly fishing stuff. What's this now? What, what's this now? Can we go look now? And so I went over there, and I made him an offer on all of it. I bought, I bought this retired dude's entire lifetime collection of fly fishing gear and rods and different reels and weights. And, and then I saw that that basket hill Scottish claymore sitting over there and I bought that too and my life has been better for it now you know there's a relative that thought they were going to get that in their will and now you have it in your garage uh, that's exactly right well one is in my garage and the other is okay. behind my desk okay. on video next to my bear spray I figure those two things like if somebody comes and messes with me in my office and I rise up with a basket hill Scottish claymore the first thing yeah. they're going to think is well I can't injure that guy's hand it's in a basket hilt and the second thing they're going to think is, is that bear spray in his other hand? And they're leaving. Why would you mess with somebody's arm like that? I mean, I have no I don't have a good answer for that. I don't know. There isn't one. Now, recently, uh, you took a trip overseas. You had some great experiences. One of them was not uh, hearing All I Want for Christmas. And I, I, I get that. That's one of my least favorite <laughs> Christmas songs next to Christmas shoes. That kid's never going to get those shoes for crying out loud. But... Um, <laughs> But you're able to have more positive. Now, let me. I gotta ask you this: Do you not like Christmas music? Was it too soon, or is it Mariah Carey, or all well, three? Uh, where all three. Can I start. One, I love Christmas music. Okay. okay. I was born on Christmas. Get out. Literally. So I feel a very personal connection with this. Yeah. And my gripes are as follows: One, I was in Nicaragua. I don't want to hear dumb American Christmas music. Okay. Two. I especially don't want to hear All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, which is literally the worst thing about Christmas. It's not the commercialism or the consumerism. That's second worst. It's that song alone. And I don't know why. Everybody thinks it's so cutting edge and good. I don't know how it it weaseled its way into the hearts of playlist makers at retail institutions everywhere. But this has happened, and it needs something has to be done. Like There should be a petition 
I'm normally for the government staying out of people's business, but if I could just make one law, it would be to terminate that song, put all the copies in like a concrete container and drop it into the deepest part of the ocean. So the song itself, where it was happening, that we were still weeks before Thanksgiving, and I know they don't have Thanksgiving there, so maybe that's what was going on. All of it just added up to... I don't know. I, I just I went into a shell. It ruined my entire it was, time. It was too much. It pushed you over the edge. Yeah. It was too much. Too Listen, much. if you're gonna make a law, make one here, not in Nicaragua. If you would, if you get the opportunity to make one, I'm gonna ask you to do it here. Um, I would appreciate that. But what, there was good experiences too, right? So was there anything good that happened over yeah. there? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you for the softball. I'm, I'm thankful right. that Mariah you're did right. not ruin I, the whole trip. That that would be brutal. She ruined New Year's Eve last year, so, I mean... Oh, my goodness, that's exactly where I was going next. And (laughs) let me be super clear, because I know Mariah Carey listens to this podcast. True, true. I think she's a lovely lady, and I don't have any problem with her. I just have a problem with that song. And what happened to her on New Year's Eve, while cringeworthy and embarrassing, was not something I took satisfaction in. I don't wish that on her or anybody. That was a tough moment. It's just that song. So in Nicaragua, we were a part of this... um, this thing called IBAC, and there's a Spanish translation that makes it all work, but basically it's the Bible Institutes of Central America, and there's a, a guy down there who's a part of our association of churches, Evangelical Free Church, and he wrote this fantastic curriculum. It's, it's seminary in a box delivered in 14 four-day seminars over the course of seven years, and he invites American churches to partner with him and to adopt a community and the pastors therein to go down and provide free seminary light training for local pastors. So it's that whole mission philosophy shift away from, well, the gospel hasn't been to this continent before, so Mabel and I must bravely go on the steamship and wander into the deep, dark recesses and no doubt get nine diseases and die at age 30, but we will give our lives to trying to initiate the conversation about Jesus with these people. I mean, there was the age of missionary heroism, where if you signed up to be a missionary, you were signing up to die young in the interest of something wildly eternally important. But because of the work those people did, now we're in a place where it seems to make sense that there would be a shift in our strategy. And what I like about this IBAC thing is that the shift is occurring in saying, we're not going to send anybody to, in my case, Granada, Nicaragua, we're just going to go down and meet with the competent pastors and lay leaders who are already there and give them something that they just aren't going to have access to in Nicaragua, which is a seminary education, or frankly, just the English resources we have. There's more quality biblical study resources in English than in any other language. And so we really are lucky and have a remarkable opportunity to get coached up here for really almost no cost. Instead of being able to go down there and give it away, it doesn't mean we're smarter. We're not smarter. These people are doing a better job than I am without the benefit of the resources and the training. And you know, they're, they're brilliant students, and they just gobble the stuff up. So I show up down there. I help teach these classes for four days. I tip my hat to the brilliance of the people who are already there and working, and then I come home. Did you mention the grocery store music? No, I didn't mention it to them at all. I just My hope is that none of them know that song exists, and I would hate to pollute their impression of America or Christmas by acknowledging that it's there. Fair enough, fair enough. 
Hey, uh, Matt, one of the things we ask every guy that's on this podcast is uh, what they're reading, but it's kind of two-part for you because when I watch your videos, you have an incredible um, library behind you. So I, I guess the first part would be, is there a book or books or whatever that you might recommend a guy who uh, is looking to be better equipped in understanding the Bible or studying the Bible? Yeah. If people haven't read How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Fee and Stewart, read it and then read it again. It is, it's been around for a while, but for my money, it is still the smartest, best resource for <clears throat> being better at understanding the Bible that's out there. It's super understandable, and I, I would put it this way. I guarantee you there are people listening who have been around the faith thing for a long time. They've had emotional moments with it that they've found unsustainable. They've had epiphany moments with the Bible that they've found difficult to repeat. And those things are sprinkled in, so they, they know there's more. They want more. They're convinced of the kingdom, of the work of God in their life, but the next step is hard. And for to be honest, I bet there are people listening who are reading the Bible because they think they ought to, but it's hard. It feels foreign and removed and different. And when that happens, the easiest thing in the world is to either say, I, I don't get it, but I'm doing this because I need to. Hopefully, mystically, there will be some power or meaning imbued upon me from God just because I opened it and read it. And there are other people who will make the most common interpretive mistake ever, which is to say, I don't understand the text, but I think I could distill some kind of rule out of this to put on myself or to put on other people. What a book like How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth does is... It just gives you epiphany after epiphany after epiphany and helps that document come into focus. So I'd recommend it for people who study and teach, but I really recommend it for people who just feel like they've hit that stagnant place with the Bible and Christian faith and have been wondering, what is, what is next for me with this? How do I get it better? Or, is, or do I get it already? And is that all there is to get? Like, there is so much more, and that book is a huge help. I'd also, you know, jump on that with how to read the Bible book by book. I have both of those, and they're they're incredible, incredible resource. Yeah, for fun, uh, this year I read Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Okay. It's a fascinating book, and I think people in your audience might like it because um, it's it really has a lot of theological overtones mixed with 1980s video game and pop culture references. Okay. It's a story about uh, a dystopian, post-apocalyptic kind of future where everyone lives inside virtual reality machines with their free time because the outside world is gross. And they, they, they live in this place called the Oasis, but the founder of the Oasis had his formative years happen in the Stranger Things era of the 1980s. And so he builds into this elaborate simulation all of his love for 1980s culture. And then he dies, and he leaves a riddle behind where all of the people who participate in the Oasis can explore the Oasis to try to find his secret Easter egg that will make them essentially God and King of the Oasis, which would make them effectively the most powerful person on Earth. But to do that, they have to get inside this guy's head and understand his almanac or his journals, which are all rooted in 80s, pop culture. And effectively, this guy becomes God, his almanac becomes the Bible, and this generation of atheists working within the Oasis 
become believers in this guy and his almanac as they try to get so inside his head and his motives that they can do what he would want in all these different situations. And it's just a blast and a silly, fun riot, but I love the theological world that comes out of it. That's Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. I don't know how you kept track of all that, but that's impressive. That's impressive. So, um, Hey, man, if somebody's listening, checking out you for the first time, what's the best way to get in touch with you and the uh, 10-Minute Bible Hour? Yeah, well, you can just the 10-Minute Bible Hour search on YouTube. That'll get me. You can Google that. The10MinuteBibleHour.com or, oh, no, I bought a new URL. TheTMBH.com if you like shorter URLs. And then my podcast is No Dumb Questions. I also have a podcast version of the 10-Minute Bible Hour. Uh, you can search either of those on any podcast app. And then if you're interested, Lander Evangelical Free Church on any podcast app will get you our Sunday sermons. Awesome. And on Twitter, you are what? What are you on Twitter? At Matt Whitman, TMBH. You're a great follow, man. I enjoy following you and what you talk about and tweet about. And so, uh, yeah. Well, Matt, thank you for uh, making some time out in Wyoming for us. We appreciate you. Props to you. These were great questions. I do this from time to time. This is the best set of questions I've had. Thank you for (laughs) just the really thoughtful conversation. I feel like I hogged it. That's what I want you to do. I want you to hog it because uh, it's about you, and uh, they, they get sick of hearing about me. So uh, it's good to, to hear that, man. And uh, My main takeaway from you, and I, and I said in the beginning, I want you to hear it again. I, I am incredibly impressed with the quality of your content, but as a pastor, man, we need this stuff. We need more of this in the lives of especially the men we're trying to connect with to understand who we are created to be. So, man, we I, I want to you know we want to pray for you and continue to pray for you and what you're doing. And, uh, man, keep doing it, brother. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You as well. Men, once again, I want to thank you for listening to the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, and thank you to Matt Whitman for taking time to be on here. Guys, again, if you want to get in touch with what he's doing, uh, check him out at the10minutebiblehour.com, or you can find him on Twitter, Matt Whitman. T-M-B-H. Uh, and again, I want to thank you for listening to the Pursuit of Mailiness podcast. If you would go to iTunes and click subscribe, uh, you will never miss any of the interviews that we have with Pursuit of Mailiness and any of the other special podcasts that we have. While you're there, if you would leave a review, that would be fantastic. The more you do that, uh, the feedback that you give um, allows me to understand what, how we can reach you, how we can better equip you, but also allows us to reach more men with what we're doing with the Pursuit of Mailiness. And as always, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Pursue Manliness. And then our closed Facebook group, facebook.com backslash groups backslash Pursuit of Manliness. If you go there, uh, click join. If you're a guy who wants to be better, being a man, growing in your faith, and just uh, maturing and doing life with other men, that's a great place to start a conversation, just get connected that way. And then, of course, you go to the website, thepursuitofmanliness.com. You can find all this content and more. So, guys, thanks for listening, and keep pursuing manliness. Joe.